Hello everyone, you're listening to J Movie Talk, episode 160, as I'll be talking Kill Bill, volume 1. Bill always said you're one of the best ladies he ever saw with an edge weapon. Fuck you, bitch. I know he didn't qualify that shit. So you can just kiss my motherfucking ass, Black Mamba. Black Mamba. I should have been motherfucking Black Mamba. Weapon of choice, and if you want to stick with your butcher knife, that's fine with me. Very funny, bitch. Very funny, bitch. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am back for another episode. Um, May Action Month is continuing um, for the podcast. Uh, previous episode that I did for 159, where I did the movie Haywire, which starred Gina Carano. Um, and now this week, I am getting into... The Kill Bill films and for episode 160 here, I'll be doing Kill Bill Volume 1 and then for the next episode, it'll be Kill Bill Volume 2. I decided to break it up into two. Originally, I was going to do it as one because that was always Quentin Tarantino's vision as one movie and you can kind of see it that way. But at the same time, the fact that it was broke up into two parts and it's played very non-linear anyway um with the two parts um especially here in the first part which i'll get more into that later but uh real quick uh just want to go through the cast and everything so we have uma thurman as in this movie at least she's known as the bride lucy Liu is oren ishi vivica a fox as vernita green daryl hannah as l driver david carradine as bill michael madsen as bud Julie Dreyfus as Sophie. The young girl in the schoolgirl uniform is Oren's personal bodyguard, 17-year-old Gogo Yubari. Gogo may be young, but what she lacks in age, she makes up for in madness. Um, Sonny Chiba as Hatari Hanza. Um, Gordon Lau as Johnny Moe. Michael Parks as Earl McGraw. Michael Bowen as Buck. Um, James Parks as Edgar McGraw. And that's pretty much your main cast of characters here. And the synopsis for this movie is basically after awakening from a four year coma, a former assassin wrecks vengeance on the team of assassins who betrayed her. I mean, the plot of this movie is very simple, but one thing about Tarantino movies, even something that can be considered very simple is not very simple. And speaking of Tarantino, so for me one of the biggest things about this movie in particular is the fact that this is the first movie that he directed in six years um this came out in 2003 the last movie he did before this was jackie brown which came out in 1997 so he takes a six-year break away from filmmaking altogether he doesn't do any tv directed stuff he doesn't you know do any like short film stuff he doesn't do anything really he just kind of goes away for six years and then he pops back up in 2003 with kill bill and i remember when it first came out i wasn't really too too interested in seeing it at that time because i didn't see either one of these movies um on the big screen I didn't see him until they came out to buy on DVD. Uh, but just it's just a stark contrast from 
what he did, you know, with Reservoir Dogs, with Pulp Fiction, and with Jackie Brown. Because Jackie Brown is even very much different from what he did with his first two films. Um, But it seems like this is where Tarantino's second career kind of takes off. And I feel like he's done more with what he kind of started here with Kill Bill, with the movies that came after um opposed to what he did before and i would always like to know like what changed um in regards to the type of films and the style that he kind of adapted going towards i mean of course it was always homages to like the earlier generations and of course like italian directors and and uh with the spaghetti westerns and also with the whole uh japanese uh, culture of filmmaking that that's kind of where he went to but i always wanted to know like what made that start change in regards to his career especially coming off of you know reservoir dolls pulp fiction it's pulp fiction in particular but at, at the same time i think i know what kind of the answer to that because after pulp fiction came out you started getting a lot of movies that wanted to try to follow suit in that and one thing i've noticed about tarantino um career wise that he likes to have his own type of style and even though he pays a lot of homage and you know takes from older films and everything but he always put his own unique twist on it and when it got to the point where other filmmakers started to kind of take his particular style of doing things his particular brand of filmmaking i think that's what kind of turned him to doing a lot of more of this other stuff that he adapted um with his films and everything but that's just something from my interpretation of what i saw as his career went along i could be completely wrong with that but um that's my whole belief on it unless he comes out and says otherwise or if he has came out otherwise i haven't seen it in an interview or anything but anyway um so this movie kicks off um very interesting i should say uh, we get where Uma Thurman has been beat to holy hell and everything. She's badly, you know, injured and everything. She's laying there and she's in a wedding dress. You can tell it's a wedding dress that she's in. And you hear David Carradine's character. You don't, you, you never see him um, or whatnot. And he's talking to her. And in the conversation, he's telling her that this is him and his most masculine and everything like that and he you can tell that he's getting ready to shoot her and right before he shoots her she basically she yells out it's your baby and at the same time as baby he shoots her in the head and then that's when we get the title cards and everything and i always felt like this movie had a very impactful opening because it's like okay we're gonna be in for something crazy if our main character is being you know know taken out like this at the beginning what are we really in store for here so um in true tarantino fashion the movie of course jumps around and we jump four years later where um the bride she shows up in pasadena california because she's doing like the little narration and she goes up to the um, house and she knocks on the door and vivica fox comes to the door and we get this flashback of you know her uh beating up the bride and everything and it's all in red and everything 
and when it comes back to like reality that's when they start they get into this crazy fight or whatnot in the living room they're going all over the place and they beating beating the hell out of each other and as the fight is about to continue we see outside the school bus pulls up and vanita she kind of she's like motions like look we can't do this look we're gonna have to put this on hold for a second and it's not it's no words said but it's just through facial expressions that they have like an understanding that you know time out here and everything and as the little girl comes inside they stop and everything and vanita she tells her daughter you know about she gives her this crazy excuse that their dog is the one who tore up the living room and all this type of stuff and the little girl clearly is not buying anything because she doesn't seem like a naive little girl like you could just tell her anything and she would just believe that because she said she even says like i forgot what the dog name was but she even says like he did this and she was like yes and everything and she she goes to walk and she's like no you can't come in here there's a lot of broken glass in here and like me and mommy friend needs to um have some grown-up talk and they do like a little introduction to each other and we find out that the little girl's name is nikki short for nikia and when when the bride goes to say she says her name but it's blocked out so we don't know what her name is we just know her as the bride um and everything and so nikki she goes into the room and then they go in in the kitchen and they have a conversation and vanita's basically you know apologizing for screwing her over four years ago and this that and the other so we get like a little backstory of like what happened but even then we still don't know fully what exactly happened um we just know that they her and some other assassins they basically double crossed their friend you know and everything and now they're all kind of just living their little peaceful lives now um in a way uh at least in vanita green's um case they're living like their life and everything and then in the process of talking uh vanita which i always laugh at this scene because she has a freaking gun hidden in the cereal box and she turns around and tries to shoot the bride with it and she clearly miss and and the bride um she pulls out this knife and she stabs her right in the chest with it and she kills vanita and this scene that comes after has been one that's that a lot of fans of these movies have wanted tarantino to really expand on because nikki comes in the kitchen and she sees her mother dead on the floor and the bride tells her well if you still feel raw about it you know when you get older come find me i'll be waiting and it the way that scene plays out it does set up like okay there could be a third movie if they wanted to where a grown-up nikki has gone looking for the bride and you probably could get this whole crazy elaborate you know thing of where she gets trained by somebody to be an elite assassin and now and then also too you know there, there's like i say there's a big possibility of what they could do with that um as far as going forward but nothing's ever come from it and i don't think tarantino has any plans of doing it really i mean he kind of teases every so often but I, I don't think he himself would ever do it and i don't know if he would allow anybody else to direct it either but then again you never know um so vivica fox in this movie I, it is very interesting because i remember when this movie came out you know 2003 i mean vivica fox was still 
like a kind of a bigger big name at this point um but i would say this movie was like the end of that run that she had from the early mid 90s into the early 2000s of doing these type of you know more hard type of roles opposed to what she started to do after which was more like comedy um oh i would say romantic comedy or then also too going the route of doing a lot of uh low budget black movies um in a sense that's the best way i can say it without well i just go i mean they they really was like straight to dvd and you know low budget movies but this movie was like the end of that run that she originally had um or whatnot because the movie that followed was never on the par of what she did in the 90s and this movie here she wasn't never on par with any of those films but i thought she was good in this movie it'd been nice if we got a little bit more of her character um and everything and we find out that actually she's the second one to be taken out by the bride even though she's the first one that we see so even with tarantino he plays with the timing of everything um with the movie straight off the bat anyway um but it would have been nice like i said just to see uh vivica fox a little bit more in this movie just to give her character a little bit more depth i guess but um so moving on we go back four years uh we go to texas and we see good old sheriff earl mcgraw and the last time we saw earl mcgraw is when he got gunned down in a little uh corner store a little gas station by the gecko brothers and from dust till dawn so this is like the first time that a character um exists in the same universe of two films that have nothing to do with each other so we're i guess we're supposed to believe that vampires exist in the same universe that the bride and and her friends existed that vampires exist in that whole universe because and i know the story goes that anytime we see Earl McGraw like this this all takes place before from dust till dawn because he gets killed in dust till dawn but it was nice to see michael parts come back as sheriff Earl McGraw because even though he had a small part in that movie you i mean it's, it's, it's freaking michael parts he, he's like a really good actor and and everything he just brings a lot to this character and we see him more um and he shows up quite a bit in other movies as well as the same character you just get a little bit more of that character and you kind of wish that there would have been a movie that featured him a lot more than what we got i mean planet terror is like the closest that you get to a earl mcgraw you know heavy character movie um but even that he comes in and out of that movie but um so he shows up at this um you know there clearly has been a crime scene and everything he walks in well he meets his son number one played by um james park who is reprising his character from uh from dust till dawn texas blood money so right there you, you got them coming from the whole from dust till dawn movies to you know over to kill bill in a way um so they meet up and they go inside and and edgar mcgraw he basically tells his father you know what's going on here you see these dead bodies all over the place and mcgraw he looks down at the at the bride and everything and as he's leaning over her he's like well why would someone want to do that to a tall drink of water like this and everything 
And while he's looking her over, she spits in his face. And that's when he, he looks back and he's like, son, number one, this tall drink of water ain't dead. So we find out that she wasn't dead, of course, even though she had been badly beaten. She was pregnant at the time and she was shot in the head also. But some way, somehow she survived this. So we get to where she's in the hospital and everything. And this is where we see Elle Driver. And this is the only time that you actually see Dara Hannah in this movie, too. She's only in one scene in this movie even she gets like a featured you know credit and everything but she's literally only in the one scene i think um freaking vivica fox gets more screen time than her in this movie um or whatnot and she's dressed like a nurse and she walks into um the bride's room and right when she's about to try to kill her she gets a phone call and it's from bill and once again we don't see bill He's just sitting in the chair. It's like that old uh, movie villain type of trope where you, you hear him, you see like parts of his body, but you never see his face. And he tells her, he tells Elle not to kill her. And Elle gets pissed, of course. And she's like, okay, what not? And she hangs up and she tells the bride, like, you're very lucky. And you say, you better hope you never wake up because if you do, I will kill you. And then she leaves. And after that is where we get probably like one of the sleaziest things in a movie that you probably ever see is where this freaking orderly buck played by Michael Bowen. He comes in with his trucker and basically what he's been doing for the last four years is he's basically been, um, he's basically been selling her body to these truckers and everything. And you get this whole backstory of like how much time he has, like what he can and can't do with her. And then he gets him this nasty bottle of freaking uh, of jail or whatnot. This greased, like to get her lubed up and everything. And it's just like, man, what the hell? But unbeknownst to them before she, before they actually came in there, she actually woke up. And she realized that she has like this metal plate in her head and everything. But when she hears them coming, she lays back down, pretends like she's still sleeping. And that's when we get the whole story and everything. And so Buck, he leaves and the trucker, he climbs on top of her and is about to, you know, get it on with her or whatnot. But she wakes up and bites the hell out of the lip and she ends up killing him. And then Buck, he comes back and... I always like it because it seems like something out of a horror movie. When he walks in, he sees the, the trucker dead on the floor and the camera pans down because the bride, she can't walk at this point. Um, she has like a scalpel and she slices the back of his ankle, uh, like his tendon or whatnot. And he falls to the floor. She's, and it's funny too, because the first thing that she says, she beats him in the head with the door and she says, where's Bill? And, he doesn't know who the hell bill is but that's all she know because the last thing she remembers seeing is bill so naturally that's her whole thought process where's bill and she's beating him in the head with the door and he's even like halfway conscious saying please stop beating me and everything like this and she looks at his name tag and it's like she has a flashback because buck himself i guess before he started selling her off to like these sleazy truckers or whatnot he had a turn with her and she remembers this and she's like your name is buck right you like to fuck right 
and he realizes what's about to happen and then she just slams that door in his head killing him and then she she kind of manages to get out of there and everything and then she take because she takes his keys and everything with say his pussy wagon on it and this is the same truck that we see her driving at the beginning of the movie and she finds the truck in the parking garage and then she gets in and of course she can't drive so she gets herself in the back seat and then she basically she's looking at her feet and she's like wiggle your big toe so basically she spends all this time in the back seat of this truck trying to do this but in the process of that we get this uh we get this whole history lesson of uh oren ishi and everything and in the process of that we we get her backstory and it's shown in anime so even here tarantino is basically you know really changing his style because that whole backstory of oren ishi is shown in freaking in anime which is a cool thing to see it and everything and how it plays out and how she was like the youngest trained assassin and this that and the other but also too how her family was killed and and everything um by this uh yakuza boss and everything and the guy that's like his right hand man it's never actually said but it's always alluded to that the guy who actually kills her family is bill they never say it but it's kind of alluded to with how he's dressed and also too i think the ring that's on his finger is the same ring that bill wears so like i say they never say it but it very much uh looks like it so after we get that little history lesson of owen ishii it comes back to the bride and she's managed to you know wheel herself back to walk and so she gets out the back of the truck gets in the front she drives off so uh one of the things like i, I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier is that i kind of like the fact how this movie is told non-linear um or whatnot because i think if it was told like straightforward and i i've never actually seen the whole bloody affair which is the movie told um in chronological order uh, I've never actually seen that version of the movie. I do plan on it at some point, but I do like the fact that it's played out of order because if it was played linear, I don't think it has the same impact and gravitas that the movie allows for because technically the first part of the movie would end, I guess, after uh, Vivica Fox character is killed off or whatnot. I guess it would end from there because after that is when she goes to texas um in the second movie of course but if the movie was told in order here you would get the oren ishii stuff first and then vivica fox stuff second because oren was the one that was taken out first um because we see that from um the bride's uh kill list anyway because oren is first vanita is second uh i believe l is no, Bud is third, L is fourth, and then Bill is fifth. And that's pretty much how they all die off, actually. Um, even though I talk about more about Bud in the second movie, of course. But as far as the kill list, they are killed off pretty much like that, even though it's told out of order. So um we go to um oh I think it's Okasawa or whatnot is where the bride goes first and she meets up with Hattori Hanzo, who is this well-known sword maker 
and everything played by Sonny Chiba. And they have like this little interesting discussion where he has stopped making swords. The last sword that he made, um, I believe was for Bill and he stopped making swords after that because of the fact that Bill used his swords to, you know, for the, for the wrong thing. And Hattori Hanzo seems more like a very righteous person or whatnot that he never wanted his stuff to be done for bad always for good and the fact that bill just kind of sullied that whole thing he vowed never to make any more swords but because of who the bride is and what she'd been through because her i guess her story is legendary in these four years that it got around like what bill and his team did to her so everyone pretty much knew about it so when Hattori Hanzo finds out that she is the bride and everything he decides to break his vow and make her a sword make her the best sword that he's ever made and just that whole scene with him just shows like there there's a, a lot of history with that character like he's been through some things he's seen some things or whatnot and that he it took him it took a lot for him to you know do this because he knew like just how important it was for the bride and you know that she was done wrong in a way so i guess he felt like he was doing something right and he was doing it for the right reason about him making this sword um and then we find out too that oren has worked her way up in the to the yakuza she's worked her way up to be the boss of bosses or whatnot and she's a woman and she's a chinese japanese american at that which a lot of them don't like and in the scene where they're all sitting around at their table having a meeting one of the bosses he kind of you know comes out in defiance against her and then she jumps up and chops off his freaking head to warn everybody um and everything about that but uh we're introduced to her little crew um it's her you have sophie fatel who's like her number one her translator uh, you have Gogo, who's like this silent teenage uh, schoolgirl assassin. Um, and then you have like some of the crazy 88. We don't have the full crazy 88, but it's like the ones that's more like her personal uh, security that hang out with her. And then these uh, goofy uh, bar owners. Uh, I forgot. I don't think they ever say what the woman's name is, but the guy, his name is Charlie Brown. So this is like the ones that's like her main um inner soaker i should say so um the bride she shows up at you know the place where where oren and her team like hangs out and everything and she kind of you know plays it cool for a little while she just gets there kind of lays low you know kind of survey the whole scene and everything and right when she is going to try to attack oren oren gets a hint that you know something isn't right some something's off here so she sends out gogo to kind of investigate and as she goes out to investigate the bride had jumped up on the ceiling and everything and you know it's being very stealth and so they kind of get the sense that something isn't right so in the process of all that um the bride she takes sophie and she comes back in with her and she yells for Oren and everything. And then she chops off Sophie's arm. And that's when we get this crazy freaking fight with the crazy 88. 
Well, first she kills off uh, the team that um, that she has of the Crazy 88. She kills off those five, and then she gets into this whole crazy fight with Gogo, who I kind of wish we'd have got a little bit more of Gogo because that's an interesting character too. The fact that this teenage girl is this sadistic and crazy because we get a flashback of her where she's getting hit on by this guy and then she stabs him in the freaking stomach and then spills his blood all over the place and she enjoys it so she gets a kick out of you know sadistic type stuff so her and the bride they get into this crazy fight and she has this like this this ball that's on a a chain but it but when she clicks the button it kicks out like these blades that is on the ball so it slices you up and everything and they have this really good back and forth fight and she almost gets the bride. She's one of the few people in both movies that gets the upper hand on the bride to a degree. Cause she actually gets that chain wrapped around her throat and she's choking her to death basically. And as she gets closer up on her, um, the bride takes this piece of wood because she went through a table. So this table leg with, with nails in it is there so she grabs that stabs her in the foot and then she stabs in the head and then you get this this great shot of of gogo as she's bleed like the blood is coming out of her eyes and her nose this is a great shot of her and until she falls to the floor dead and you can tell that oren is is sad by this but she keeps she keeps her face and at this point you're thinking that okay the bride and her is finally gonna have a fight and then you hear like in the background there's a lot of noise and you get this whole thing of silly rabbit tricks up for kids type thing and behind her you see where this masked um guy he runs in with the sword and followed by the whole entire crazy 88 so they get into this whole big crazy fight and in the process of this fight the it, the fight scene goes to black and white and the reason why it went to black and white is because of the fact that i guess the mpaa would have probably had an issue with all the blood in it so that's why a chunk of it is played in black and white but it's it plays perfectly in, in how it's set to the music and everything it, it it's a really good fight scene really really good in my opinion um i mean i know i'm saying really really good to try to explain it but it's one of those scenes that you'd have to really just watch and see because they incorporate a lot of like the whole crouching tiger type stuff, especially running up the, um, like the banister and everything like that. And how it goes from like different settings. It's almost like a dance in a way. And I know how in a lot of Tarantino movies, especially up to this point, there's always like someone dancing or whatnot. And I feel like, this fight scene plays out like a dance is is very much like a dance and then it plays to the music because um one of the things too about this movie was that a lot of the original music was done by um by the rapper producer uh rizza from the wu-tang clan who of course if you know about the wu-tang clan that their whole thing is enriched in like the old uh, Shaw Brothers uh, karate movies and everything. So you would always get like a quite a few of the um, snippets and stuff from like from old um, karate movies in their in their songs and everything. So he does a lot of the music and it has more of like a hip hop um, Chinese, you know, type of inspired beats and everything. And it's like I said, it's done very good with some other music thrown in there as well. And just really well crafted, I would say this fight scene and she goes through all of them um taking some licks too but she goes through all of the crazy 88 
and she eventually gets to Oren, who's made her way outside and and was interesting about it is that even though you get this crazy you know sped up fight between her uh, be, between the bride and the crazy 88 when it gets time for Oren versus the bride it gets very slowed down or whatnot and is more methodical and slow paced and they could have easily like had to go like balls to the wall or whatnot but i guess after watching this probably what 10 15 20 minute sequence of fighting you slow it down and you know to build it back up and to make make it be more meaningful with this fight so they because it wasn't fast and everything how it was with vanita green either um oren's fight scene is very slow um and you can tell too that the bride she has to change her style with each fight as well that and that's something that kind of plays out in regards to her too that her style of fighting changes depending on who she's fighting against so the whole thing with her and oren happens and they go back and forth and long story short the bride she kills oren she chops off the top of her head and she dies or whatnot and after that is well before after that uh just talk about lucy lou for a second i mean this is lucy lou like right around the time where she became like a big name um thanks to this movie and also to the charlie angels movies and you know and different stuff that she was in around that time uh, lucy lou you know really was like a big name and everything and it's kind of crazy too that lucy lou is not the original choice for that part um but it wasn't until tarantino saw her in shanghai noon that he was like yeah you know what i think she'll be really good for this part and that's when oren ishii gets turned into a chinese japanese american because that's what lucy lou actually is um or whatnot so i thought she did a good job in the role that she plays here even though we don't once again we don't get a lot of her either but we get enough of her to know that she's this very mysterious character and in some ways she has some similarities to the bride especially when you go back to her childhood and her history of how her mother and father were killed by this yakuza man and then she comes back and kills him and she works her way up you know and everything become the boss of bosses i mean that right there warrants his own freaking movie in my opinion um so after that uh we get this whole backstory where the bride is taking sophie and put in a freaking trunk she's taking her to the hospital but she tells her she asks her where's bill because she want to know exactly where he is so she can go get him you know and kill bill because that's the whole premise right to kill bill and sophie you know she tells her and everything and then we get the flashback of where sophie is in the hospital and bill he goes to see her and he asks her um you know what exactly happened she tells her that he that she threatened to cut off her arm if he didn't tell her where he was and she was like i'm sorry i failed you and everything and bill he he's he says that he forgives her but at the same time just by his hand body language it's telling him like it's saying like eh, yeah i don't think he's too happy about it but at the same time this is how it had to play out or whatnot and you never know but i always get the impression that bill kills sophie after he tells her the whole big reveal of like did you tell her that her daughter is still alive 
or whatnot. And that's how the movie ends, basically, with that cliffhanger of knowing that that the bride's daughter is still alive because she's under the impression that her baby was was killed, that her baby died because of the fact of what happened to her, that the baby died as well um, or whatnot. So it leaves you on that kind of, I want to say like a Star Wars type of a cliffhanger in a way of where leading to the next chapter um basically um so i thought it was very interesting uh before i get out of here i thought it was very interesting too that they decide to not show um um david carradine's face in this movie even though he's in a few scenes but you never see his face they keep his face hidden for whatever reason um, i thought that was an interesting choice to do um and everything and it kind of adds a little bit more intrigue to his character by not seeing his face right off the bat, even though, you know, it's David Carradine. But still, the fact that you don't see his face, it kind of alludes to like, well, what exactly does he look like in this movie since we don't see his face? Um, then, of course, got to talk about Uma Thurman in this. Um, she I mean, I would say for me personally, around this time, I wasn't really the biggest Uma Thurman fan. Um, I mean, she, she had been in some good movies. Um up to this point but nothing that really jumped out to me i mean outside of of course pulp fiction um like everything in between that i really it wasn't like oh it's must see if uma thurman was in the movie um around that time from for me at least i mean i've i've seen quite a few of her movies from that time period like gattaca and stuff like that but it wasn't always like if I if Uma Thurman was in the movie, it wasn't like, oh, I got to see Uma Thurman in the movie or um, anything like that. But this movie, it really drives home like she could have she could have had a very much different career if she had more roles like this one, Um, I think. And I guess because of the fact that she looked like a model and everything, because she's tall, she's slender. You know, she has that model physique and everything. So I guess they kind of always want to play her up more like that and things. But this movie just proved like she didn't have problem, you know, doing the rough and tough, you know, action stuff and everything. And she could have did more. And even now, I mean, even after these movies, her the, tra- the trajectory of her career kind of went sideways, in my opinion. Um, but I talk more about that when I talk about volume two. Um, but I really liked her in this movie, even though she doesn't do a lot of talking in this movie, she's more action based and her expressions really tells like what she's going through here more than anything. So, uh, that's pretty much it for Kill Bill volume one. Um, if I had to rate the movie, I'd give it a four out of five. Um, it's just really well done movie and just kind of it just grips you in in the way that tarantino tells the story and everything like that so that's why it's a four out of five for me um if i had to have a favorite character um i could easily say the bride but i'm not gonna go with the bride i'm gonna go with a side character uh i would probably have to go with huh that's interesting i don't know what character i probably go with as far as a favorite character i don't really have a favorite character well no actually i do go 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 would be my favorite character because she's she's a very interesting freaking character and everything like that. And it would have been nice to get a little bit more of her. So Gogo would be my favorite character. Um 
I want to thank you all for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoy May Action Month on the podcast. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at JMovieTalk, as well as my personal account at the J Giles as well. And you can find all of the episodes a part of the TV Zone Podcast Network. Um, of course, the host site is Anchor, but we're all over um, the podcasting catchers the apps and everything like that so if you go you type in tvs on podcast or whatever apps you listen to whether it's itunes apple podcast google podcast stitcher spotify we're there you can find all of the movie talk episodes as well as all of the other shows that are part of the network as well and also too if you have any comments and um suggestions for me personally in regards to the podcast you can hit me up on uh, my email at jmovietalk at gmail.com um i will be back for episode 161 as i wrap up the kill bill series for may action as i do kill bill volume two so until next time peace